This audio production is presented by Good Shepherd Presbyterian Church in Ocala, Florida. For more resources, visit us online at gspcocala.com. Our sermon passage comes from the letter of Galatians, chapter 4, verses 8 through 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much of for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you, my little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Thank you, Suzanne. Uh, Would you all please pray with me? Heavenly Father, as we turn to your word, let us not approach it lightly, trivially, uh, but instead... Uh, God, by the power of your Holy Spirit at work within us, enliven our hearts to hear your word. Uh, Grant us desires and passions to know you. Uh, Fill our hearts with the joy of your salvation. Uh, God, show us your truth. Uh, Father, I ask that you would use me. Uh, We all come together trusting that you will work. Come now, Holy Spirit, in Christ's name, amen. Uh, This week, uh, we got to have uh, our our annual church planting network meeting, uh, which is both a business meeting but also a fun gathering uh, where uh, in our area, our uh, central Florida mostly, but it's larger than that, the Florida Church Planting Network, a group of churches uh, that are getting together trying to plant more churches 
And it's always fun and it's always encouraging. Uh, but part of it for me is I often get lost in it because we come together. And uh, if you've ever spent any time around people who talk about church planting, you would begin to think that the only reason that the church of Jesus Christ exists is to plant churches. It has nothing to do with operating churches that already exist. It has nothing to do with evangelism and saving people. It is only about making more churches happen. And that's, a, that's an overplay. It's a, it's, a, uh, it's a feel. It's not intentional. But as we talk and as we uh, got together and worked on what we need to be doing as a church planting network, we talked about planting more churches And we talked about the need to create a leadership pipeline because we need more men who will lead more churches. And we talked about uh, being people who own the lostness of our cities, that we live in such a way that we look out and see the lost people and we carry the burden of longing to have the gospel proclaimed to them. And we work to do all this and then we network and try and figure out who's going to be a church planter in our area and why somebody should be here and not there and everything else. And as you do all that, I personally begin to get lost. My nature is to, to, to forget my foundation really quickly. And so I have to come back from all of that and say, okay, so what are we doing? Right? You put a lot of work in and we, we want to plant a church. And we're going to plant a church by God's help in God's time. But we long to see that happen. But that's not the sole reason we exist right? We don't just exist to make more church groups happen. So why do we exist? So maybe you can hold on to that better than I can. But I have to constantly go back and grab a hold of that. Perhaps for you, it's, uh, it's coming at it from a different angle of why do I show up every week, right? This seems to be a constant question in the book of Galatians is what in the world is the foundation of who we are? Do you come because you need a little bit of uh, Bible encouragement? Do you come because you want to feel like you know more? Do you come because your chief desire is to worship? Do you come simply out of a pattern, out of a habit, because you think it's right? What is it that you're doing here and why? What we have in front of us where we are in Galatians this Sunday uh, is what I would say throughout this text. We get three diagnostic questions Three questions that kind of ask us and that we can use to ask our own hearts, uh, if you will, are we picking up what Paul has been putting down? Or as some people would say, do you smell what he is stepping in, right? Are you following what Paul is trying to get across to us? Just as a a side note, a point of uh, information Uh, This will be a place where we take a bit of a pause because for the next two Sundays, we get the privilege of not having to listen to me preach. Uh, Next Sunday, we're going to hear from Matt Matulia, Uh, right? That's next Sunday, right? Yeah. Mike and I have been going back and forth trying to figure out who's when. Matt Matulia is a a church planter who's going to plant a church over in Eustace Tavares area. Uh, and, uh, and we are excited about what he's doing. We get to hear him preach and get to pray for his church that he's beginning to gather a core group for. Um, and then after that, you get to hear from my friend David Kelly. Uh, both of those guys are over at New Hope in Eustis uh, and are part of our uh, denomination, part of our presbytery, and uh, are men that are incredibly valuable to who we are. Uh, so they get to come and we get to hear God's word from them. So we'll take a little bit of a pause so we use this as a, as a stopping point in Galatians, if you will. 
to ask, have we been catching what Paul is trying to be, in, be communicating? Have we actually picked up on it? So he, again, catches up where he was on verse 8. says, formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved by those that by nature are not God's. Right, he's telling us and drawing the picture for the Galatians that the way it was before is you were enslaved to idols. You were enslaved to pagan worship. You were enslaved to those that, as he says, were not gods. But now you are known by God. Now he's pointing at their conversion, pointing at where they went from death to life. He says, before you were enslaved. Right. Uh, if you spend much time around people who do not know Jesus, if you're in this room right now and you do not know Jesus, you probably don't think of your life as enslaved. In fact, you probably look at people like me and think, man, that guy's living a miserable life. He looks like he's enslaved. I, on the other hand, get to do what I want to do. I am free. I'm not having to wake up on my Sunday mornings and go to church. I can go ride my boat somewhere. The unfortunate reality is that when we set our hearts on the idols of this world, whether they be little carved statues or things that we think will give us life, whether it be our job, our family, our toys, our career, our success, whatever it is, what we find ourselves doing is living enslaved to them. And the worst thing about idols is that idols are punishing. When we give our hearts to the pursuit of something other than God, what we end up finding out is they, they give you just enough to keep you coming back. They fulfill on their promises just enough to keep you coming back and yet will never actually pay. And so they end up be, becoming the most punishing parts of our life that we can't let go of. We are enslaved to them. Paul says, that's where you were. But now, he says, now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. And what he's getting at there is, he's not saying, oh, no, no, I messed up. It's not that you know God. Exactly. He's not correcting himself. He's not trying to highlight a massive theological change. What he's saying is, there is a difference in your world. Right, He's been talking about adoption. It's not that you woke up one day and said, oh my goodness, God is worthy of me knowing him. I need to go call him. But instead, he has pursued you. It is that difference of, uh, some of you know this experience, you know people who are important. And everybody else knows they are important. And when you say, you know, I was uh, hanging out with the governor the other day or something like that, everybody's like, wow, that's cool, but... Pfft. Sure, everybody knows that guy. What are you? But when your phone rings and it's the most important person that you know, you realize, no, 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 I really am important. I am known by them. The power that they have is being given to me. It's one thing to say, you know, Tom Brady. It's another thing for you to introduce your friends to Tom Brady and he say, yeah, I really know this guy. Instead of simply saying, I know God, he says, no, 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 now you are known by him. He has set his favor on you. And yet, he asks us, what is our first question? 
How can you turn back again? How can you turn back? You have gone from being enslaved to being an heir. You have gone to living and working under punishing idols to being free as an heir of all things and declared righteous and welcomed into the kingdom of God. He says, how could you go back? How could you go back, he says, to weak and worthless? Right? He's not pretending like they can do it. His weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, if you remember this from last week, it is what he's talking about is the idea that they are ways in which we try and use to manipulate and control our world, these elementary principles. It is going from being free in Christ to saying, I've got to somehow control and manipulate my life because God will not take care of me says, how can you go back to that? How can you turn from grace to try and work and earn? He says, now you are wanting to be their slaves again. I wish this was a question I didn't have an answer to. Unfortunately, I think many of us really could answer this one quite well. How can I go back? How can I go back? Well, quite honestly, I go back because when I live under grace, I get to celebrate you, but I don't get to earn anything. And dadgummit, I'm trying really hard and I want some credit for it. I want to show that I can do this and I don't really need you. I want to show that I'm okay without you. How can I go back? It's measurable, right? I know if I did something and I can prove to you that I'm okay. That's why I go back. I go back because I'm in control of things. (laughs) That's why I go back. He says, right, he points at how they've gone back in verse 10. He says, you observe days and months and seasons and years. Or what he's pointing at is these Galatian Christians have gone from freedom to now re-enslaving themselves to a ceremonial structure that they think somehow is proving themselves to God. He says, you're abiding by this Jewish calendar thinking that somehow it will prove worthy and make you okay. He says, you are choosing religious acts and abandoning grace. You've abandoned the joy and the grace so that you can somehow try and work for yourself. He says, how can you turn back? One of the things we see in this, when he asks us this question and shows us what we're doing, is that the reality that there actually is a way. Right? So much of Galatians up to this point is trying to set us free from taking a, a false law and rule and living under it by trying to take a way in which we can shape and form ourselves. And what he says is you are going completely against the path of grace, which tells us there actually is a way of grace. There actually is a path that we are to walk on. It, it's not that you are set free to just do whatever you want. It's not this abandoning of the law so that you're a law unto yourself. But instead, it is setting you free from living under 
the idea that your works are what determine your relationship to God. But there is a way. The beauty of studying Galatians is we will get into the detail of what that way looks like. It is faith working itself out by love. It is walking in the Spirit. It is when we see that somebody is bearing the fruit of the Spirit. But right now, he simply wants us to ask the question if we're on the way. Have you abandoned? Have you turned back? Or are you on the pathway? Verse 12, he continues. He says, brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Which right there probably makes your head spin a little bit. What's he saying? You know, Paul, Paul was the Jewish law-abiding man who met Christ and became free, so free that he could live right from the outside, live like a Gentile. Because he was no longer enslaved to the law, but free in Christ because of what Christ had done. The Gentiles, the Galatian Gentiles on the other hand, who were Gentiles, have now met Christ and in their freedom are now enslaving themselves back into Judaism. And now he's saying, no, 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 become like me because I was like you. Come back down this path. Be free from that law that you did not need to take up. He says, come to where I am, the freedom we have in Christ. And to do that, he points them back to when they first met. He says, you did me no wrong. Right? Paul begins to tell the story of when he came to them, and he tells them that, you know, that I I didn't come to you just because I was on my way and found it, but I actually stopped and preached to you, he says, because of a bodily ailment, which we don't know what it is. And if you came in hoping I'd tell you, sorry. I saw this week a new book was published on it uh, that recounts the 20 best theories and and poses a new one. So apparently it's a good book. I didn't read it. What we do know is this. It was an ailment that made him preach. And that ailment was a trial to the Galatians. Right? A lot of people think this is something to do with his eyes, with his vision, We know that when Paul was in this area the first time that he got stoned. It's not a joke. I'm just clarifying. It means he got hit with a bunch of rocks, so he would have looked rough. Okay? When this guy shows up, most likely, most likely when they looked at Paul, it was a struggle to look at him. He says, I preached because my body was was ailing. And when I did that, when I brought the gospel to you and you could see this is what it looks like to follow Jesus, you didn't despise me. You didn't scorn me. He says, instead of rejecting me, you actually received me like an angel or like Jesus Christ, not not meaning they bowed down and worshiped him, meaning they treated him as one who brought the very message of God. They treated him as though he were bringing the word of life to them. They did not despise him. What they looked at was the irony of the difficulty of the good news of the gospel. 
Because as he's standing there, body ailment and all, proclaiming life, they see him in the cross of Christ, which is the most horrendous and vile and graphic, disgusting death in the history of man. And it is the most beautiful and glorious, life-giving moment in the history of the world. He says, as I preach this gospel to you, you see the difficulty of suffering and life. You see in front of you that to follow Christ is not all rainbows and butterflies. And yet, he says, where now is your blessedness? Which again, some of the language in this section is really difficult. And there's about a thousand different ways to try and translate what he's saying here. One of the ways I think is really helpful. What has happened to your joy? See, he says, where is your blessedness? Meaning when I came to you and I in that bodily ailment proclaimed the good news to you, your response was blessing me. Your response was joy at what I said. Your response to me was exuberance at the goodness of what I offered. Bodily ailment and all. But where is it now? He says, now... Now you have turned back from that grace and you are now enslaving your heart again, trying to find a way in which you can manipulate the world so that you get what you want. says, what happened? What happened to your joy? What happened to your response, right? As John writes it in Revelation, the words of Jesus, you have left your first love. What has happened to the joy of your salvation? Right, when I was in seminary, I preached a sermon uh, in a homiletics class where they're supposed to make you better, and we'll take what we got at this point. But one of my points was joy. And immediately, the first critique I got, right, you preach and then everybody critiques you. The first one was, next time you're preaching on joy, let your face know. <laughs> and I get it. I get the irony of me talking about joy. Right, my older brother, uh, he, he has openly said this. He says, man, when you were a kid, you were so much fun. And I don't know what happened. I forget this. Right, John Bunyan in Pilgrim's Progress talks about the slough of despond. That sometimes as we walk on the way of the pilgrim, we allow the weight of this world, the weight of our sin, to slow us down, to grab onto us like mud a lot of times, especially, I'm sorry if you're new to this stream of Presbyterian and Reformed, but a lot of times we're really good at this dour faith. That's not amenable. That's, yeah, that's when you say, boo. It's, it's true. It's true. And it shouldn't be. A, a really, really uh, encouraging and challenging moment this week. Uh, when I walked into a meeting uh, being myself, so um, I wasn't all that joyful, but one of you was there and, uh, and was asked to pray before the meeting, dude. And I'm sitting next to this person thinking, I sat down actually thinking, man, I know this person's having a tough time right now. And they were overflowing with gratitude. 
right? Paul looks at them and says, where is your joy? Where is your blessedness? When you heard the gospel, you saw what it does to me, you were willing to gouge your eyes out and give them to me, which if there's a verse to get a teenage boy's attention, there it was, right? He says, you were willing to allow pain on yourself that you might give it to me, that I might tell you that good news. And now you're abandoning that hope, giving up on the joy so that you can labor and frighten. Do you even believe that the walk of a follower of Jesus is meant to be light? Paul talks about it in 2 Corinthians. He says, are light and momentary afflictions. Right? This is when you start throwing things, right? Light and momentary? This has gone on forever. This is weighing my soul down. Paul says, the joy, the life of following Jesus is something that you get to walk in that is light and momentary afflictions, but joy every morning. Have you forgotten that? Have you abandoned that? Have you turned to instead try and build yourself up and prove yourself to be right instead of giving in to God's grace and allowing that to show you the joy of life with him? This is the way, the way of Christ is light. It is joyful. He says in verse 16, he says, Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? This, of course, is our third question. He says, Have I become your enemy by telling you the truth? He talks about these Judaizers, these people in Galatia that are enslaving these followers of Jesus, bringing them back to these elementary principles, bringing them back to the law. He says, those people, they want to make much of you because they are using you. He says, the reason they're doing it is they want to bring you underneath them so that your failings always are turning you to them so that they might show you how to work harder, how to work better, how to get it right. He says, they love celebrating you coming their way because they are using you. I, on the other hand, am speaking the truth. And now I've become your enemy. In the way of following after Christ, we must live in truth. It is the way of truth. And at times that means that we as followers of Jesus need to speak the truth to one another in ways that are painful. Right? Yes, truth at all times. But we must remember that it also means painful truth. Do you have friends that do this? Do you have friends that say the hard thing to you? Do you have friends that at times you think of as an enemy because the things they say really hurt? Every now and then I go into Mike Whitaker's office and just say, all right, I, I, just, I just need to on you, okay? Just, mm. And I'll, I'll throw out stuff and I'll talk about sin struggles and I'll talk about things that are just weighing heavy on me. And he sits and listens and every now and again he just says, 
So what are you going to do about that? In other words, you can't just confess and think that's the end of it. Yeah, that is bad. Yeah, you shouldn't think like that. Yeah, that was wrong. Do you have friends that do that? Or do you see those people as your enemy? Watched the Lord of the Rings recently, and so I can't think of this without the image of Gandalf when Bilbo is angry at him for trying to help him be free of the ring, and he makes himself large and fills the room and says, I am not trying to hurt you. I'm trying to help you. Paul says, I am perplexed. I'm trying to save you from death, and you're calling me your enemy. He says, I wish I could change the tone of my voice. I wish I could make it different, right? He started in this rage, this righteous anger at what was going on in their hearts as they were running after a false gospel. And now he's saying, right, I want you to hear I'm not angry in a way that I want to destroy you. I want to kill the thing that's killing you. He says, I I want you to ask If you have abandoned the way, I want you to see that the way is meant to be joyful, not this burden. I want you to see that it's the way of truth. He says, my goal, the purpose of what I'm doing is not to enslave you to me, not to build up my ego, not because I want to give you a new law, not because I want to make you make much of me, but what I want to do. Right? It's not that I want to plant churches. It's not that I want to make you feel better. What I want to do is see Christ formed in you. He says, my goal is not my glory and it's not your glory, but it's the fullness of your adoption in Christ that means Christ formed in you. He says, I am in the anguish of childbirth over this, which anytime a man takes on that language, you take a step back and go, all right, but it's biblical so we can allow it. He says, Christ was born and you have been made alive. But now as you continue to walk through this life, I am in the birth pangs of seeing not, notice this, not if only you would get it right and stop sinning. (laughs) Not if only you would just do what I tell you to do. He says, my hope and my goal and my dream and my desire and in fact the promise that you have in Christ is that Christ would be formed in you. When we are adopted, when we are made a son of God, an heir of righteousness, Holy Spirit dwells in us and we begin to be formed, transformed, as Romans 12 says, into the image of the Son. So what is it that we're doing here? Christ is being formed in us. We are being made more and more into his image that we would be free from the law and free from sin, not for ourselves, but to him. That our goal would be that we become one with him. That he would be in us and through us and for us and all things would work together so that he might dwell in us and show forth his glory.
Let me pray for us. Ah, uh, Jesus, that is what you're doing. Uh, so often it is easy to get caught up in our failings and our stumblings and our sins and forget that you are actually being formed in us by the power of your spirit. Uh, Father, let that work be true. Let us see that today. Let us glory in what you are doing. In your name we pray. Amen.